us. Don't all have to be scattered to the four winds, do you? Um, well, that's better. So I want to talk um, for the weekend. It's good to start at the beginning of the weekend. Encourage our hearts. Um, you know, if you really want to bear fruit in your life, there are certain things that you need to maintain. There's certain things in your life and your heart that need to be maintained and understood. And I realized when I was thinking about it, that there's a lot of people in the church, and probably you might be one of them, who doesn't understand the difference between forgiveness and deliverance, who doesn't know the difference between sin and iniquity, who doesn't understand what God really wants to do in the life and the heart, and therefore you become barren. And barrenness is a curse. It's a curse of God. Evil heart of unbelief, we looked at the other week and we saw that God doesn't want an evil heart of unbelief in any believer. That is anathema. An evil heart of unbelief. And I want to turn tonight to Psalm 130, first of all. And I dare say that there's quite a few people who could pray this prayer. And uh, verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord, more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It's a psalm that's one of the songs of degrees. And here, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. One of the things that happens, if we're not very careful, is that we cry to God out of the depths of our need, and out of the depths of our wants, and out of the depths of our de desires and needs, and yet we lose sight of the fact of faith. We enter into unbelief. 
We let our hearts go down. Instead of rising up in God, we descend in God. Instead of flowing into God, we seem to flow downwards. Alright, it's alright to know the dealings of God in the realm of saying, okay, well, you know, I know this is wrong with my life, that's wrong with my life, I know they've got to be battles. But when it comes to a time where an individual loses faith and begins to become despondent, something has gone horribly wrong. Now, one of the things that happens is joy vanishes, love vanishes, hope vanishes from the heart, and immediately barrenness ensues. And the reason many people are barren is because they've lost their way in God. Now, when I talk about barrenness, I mean a lack of fruit. And when I talk about lack of fruit, I don't mean some nefarious thing. When a couple get married, it's natural that they should have children. I better be careful. I don't say too much because once I preached on that and a woman left the church. Very offended. I heard two months later the reason she left and departed was because she hadn't had any children. Well, I wasn't getting at her. I didn't even know she hadn't had any. But she felt that what was preached was wrong. But barrenness is a sign, and always was a sign in biblical times, of a curse of God. And spiritual children are a necessity for a person who wants to go on in God. It's no good looking round and saying, well, you know, Lord, um, it's great to be able to come and worship you. It's great to be able to come and praise you. But if you're barren... If you don't produce, and if you don't bring to birth and life others, and you don't begin to beget, there's something going wrong. In a love relationship, if I really love Jesus Christ, and my heart is on fire for God, it will produce fruit. That is an inevitable thing. And the further I go on in the God, then the greater the fruit. The people will be brought into a deeper level. Now, if I'm not producing, there's got to be a question mark over why. Why, Lord, is there barrenness? That must be questioned. Now, when you begin to come down and say, well, look, We've got to be honest. Why is there no fruit? Will you be able to say with Paul, Lord, here am I, and the children that have been begotten in thy name, will they be your crown of rejoicing in glory? Or will you say, well, Lord, here am I. I got my treasure and I went and I buried it in a field. And look, it's here. I kept it safe. I kept myself pure and unspotted. You know, it's great, Lord. Here, look what I've got to offer you. Haven't I done well, Lord? 
barrenness is a curse of God. Now there's reasons for barrenness. And we need to examine them. And there's amendments that can be brought about in our lives that make us fruitful. So if you look on your life and you can't say, well, Lord, look, it was glorious. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people, evangelicals, that go about and they say a word for the Lord here and a word for the Lord there, so-called. They don't do anything of the sort. They garble out their religious anecdotes. And they, uh, you know, they, they have to be suffered by the community at large. And they aren't doing anything for God except driving people away from uh, the true God by their false religion. Now that is not what I'm talking about, but fruit. I mean, if you have life in Christ, and if you're really in love with him, well, where are those you've brought into life? Where have you shared? I mean, do you share? What do you share? Well, where's the produce of your sharing? Where are they? Or has something gone wrong? Maybe the song was suitable this evening. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free. From the law of sin and death. From the law of sin and death. For Christ now lives within my heart. I'm free, free, free. Wonderful. I'm free. Free, free, I'm free. But barren. Oh, I'm I'm delivered, but barren. Well, what use is that? What use is it to a man who marries and finds barrenness? Where are the children? Where are the heirs? What use is it to the Son of God to have a bride who's barren? To have part of the bride who are totally barren, womb shut up, unable to bear, unable to beget. What use is it? Well, it's no use at all. And so we need to examine what is barrenness. And I want to spend a weekend or two, or probably four, or maybe just three, uh, talking about barrenness and fruit. Because I feel it's time you and I sat down and reasoned together, except I'll stand, you'll sit. We need to sit down and we need to look and examine what's going wrong. Obviously, something's going wrong. Now, I can see from one or two sitting on the front row that natural fruitfulness isn't one of your problems. 
In fact, looking around the church, we seem to have an abundance in fruitfulness in the natural realm. But what about the spiritual realm? You know, how many of you are heavy with spiritual children? How many of you bring spiritual life? That's the question. Now, why is there a lack of spiritual life? Why is it that we're not begetting as we should? Now, there are excuses. No one wants to hear. Well, then how did you get here? It's not God's time. Scripture says so in season and out of season. God hasn't opened up the way. Maybe the way's there, but you just won't take advantage of it. But I think that the question comes down to something far more fundamental and basic. Far more fundamental. Far more basic. And that is the condition of our own hearts. One of the biggest problems, and one of the problems that we all need to face, is the condition of our own heart. And we need to say, well, what's wrong with me? It's all right looking out there, you know, the world, they don't want God any longer. The church is, they're dead. Uh, the people, they just want to go on in their sinfulness, curse them to hell, let them go where they belong, you know. They deserve everything they're going to get, is some people's attitude to it. As for me, well, I'm saved, saved, saved. I'm free, free, free. But them... Well, they won't believe, so that's their lookout. But that isn't altogether the way God wants it. And um, it isn't the right Christian spirit. and It's not a Christian spirit at all. And so we need to examine, what's wrong? If I was to go around to each one of you and say, why aren't you bearing fruit? Where's your fruit? Jesus talked and said about the father when he came along and he came to his garden and he went through the vineyard and he began to pluck out. Do you know he cut out branches that bore no fruit and he said after a time, well it's enough. Do you remember the fig tree that was planted in the garden? God looked at it and he came and, and the gardener said, well look, give it one more year, well dung it and if it doesn't bear fruit then cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? What's the point in having it if it's going to be fruitless? And there are a lot of warnings against fruitlessness. And we need to take those warnings seriously. God leaves that which grows for a certain time. Then he says, why cumbereth it the ground? Cut it down. Get rid of it. Cast it into the fire. That's the end. And fruit is an essential part of a life that's truly in love with Jesus Christ. And if you're not bearing fruit, there's something wrong. And I want to deal with the wrongnesses. And look at them. Okay? 
So over the next few weeks, what we're really doing is talking about bearing fruit unto God. And that's what we're going to share on. As I said, my wife stirred me up to think about it, and I began thinking about it, and the more I thought, the more I realized, and certain other thoughts had already come to me, began to, began to all fit into place, and then I suddenly thought, I know. I see what's going on. Well, how often does your heart chide you? How often do you feel condemned, wretched, sinful, cast off? How often do you feel that there's no hope? How often do you feel that the sin that so easily besets you, besets you on every side and takes you down? Justice clamors, let the sinner die. You deserve death. You begin to realize that what's in you is basically a nature of sin that wants to go its own way. You find rebellion rises in your heart. You find that God says one thing but your desires want to go another way. Is that the way it is? You come along to pray and to meet with God and all you find is a heart that can condemn you. A heart that can show you everything that's wrong. It's as though your conscience cried out against you. Let him perish. Let her go. She deserves it. And your whole heart begins to condemn you come and you try and weep and break through into God and there's no way the heavens are as brass and your sins ever before your face. And you wonder what's wrong. Why is it this way? Where's the blessedness I once knew? Where's that sweet fragrance? What's gone wrong? It becomes a question big question in the heart you become a man about to be destroyed you feel that unless God keeps you and in his mercy manages to protect you you'll go right down is that the way it is with some of you well is it Is that how your heart sometimes feels? What inside seems to be said? The fiends in hell seem to be shrieking and shouting against us, saying all we deserve is a Christless eternity. Hmm? And you wonder, if someone opens the windows, it won't be as hot as hell in here. Um, you wonder what's going on. It's like Dante's Inferno at the moment. Um, if anyone knows what that is. You wonder what's going on. 
And you begin to question inside and think, well, what? Well, if that's turned down, it, you'd leave it alone, George. It's got a thermostat on it which keeps it. It's no good turning it down. It doesn't do anything. It just means when it's cold one morning, we come in and the fires don't go on because dear George has turned it down. But there you are, your heart condemns you, everything condemns you, and everything, when you're honest about it and you look at yourself, you're a mess. Huh? Now is that right? Well, I don't want you to say yes if it isn't. Sometimes. Well, sometimes isn't always. Is that right? Come into a meeting and you try and get through to God and oh, all you can think about is what you did wrong yesterday. And you feel awful. You wish you hadn't done it, but you did. You got so mad when you turned out to play football, which has been cancelled, as Colin was sharing with us the other day. If only he waited five more minutes in the office, he wouldn't have got so mad at God. And told him, why don't you leave me alone? Your heart even cries out against God and says, what's this all going on for? Hmm? You begin to question, Lord, if you were really in my life, why do you let this happen? Why do you let that happen? If you really love me, Lord, what's going on? And there's no explanation. And your heart begins to go down and down and down. You begin to talk to the Lord. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. You know, I've cried and cried and cried. And what have you done? Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Or to put it in the vernacular as you'd put it. God, can't you hear? Have you gone deaf? And then begins the cry, and, and then we begin to accuse God. You notice how it happens. It happens in a subtle way. The subtle way of accusing God is to say, Lord, how can you let this happen to me? Why, Lord? Why is this happening? And your heart condemns you more. Because you know you then get what's called a wrong attitude. And then you get condemned over the attitudes that you've got for the situation you're in. And that makes the situation worse because you feel worse anyway. And then you feel you can't really pray to God because you're so mad at him you don't want to face him. And then you get madder still because he hasn't done anything about it by the next day. And then when you get down to pray it's not a prayer it's a grouch and you begin to grumble at him and murmur just like the old children of Israel walking around in the wilderness you know it didn't take them long to murmur deliverance was quick and then that was over and they were short of water and they were murmuring and how quickly the human heart gets accustomed to it haven't you found that no I mean you don't want to put it in those terms but that's the way it really is isn't it or am I libeling you? 
It's either libel or label. I think I'm labeling you. That's the way it is. Isn't it? Oh, it might not be voiced, but inwardly. Isn't it? Or isn't it? And then you wonder why you don't bear fruit. But what rotten fruit you'd produce if God allowed you to. We'd have a church full of grouches. We'd have a church full of you and God deliver us from that. All full of unbelief. Full of your fears, your misgivings. What's it all about? You all right there, Doris? You'll be all right. Yeah, that's all right. Just feel free to move around. Try over there if you want. Okay. So, you get upset. Get all sorts of things going on in the heart. Now, what's going wrong? What's really going wrong? Now, I think you need to learn when you feel that your foot's just about to slide over the precipice. And when you feel everything's going wrong, and when you've shouted at God, and when you've got all bitter and mad, and when you've had your arguments, and when you've asked him why, and when you've almost got to the stage of cursing him, thank God there is a big but that comes into heaven. Thank God there's a voice that speaks in heaven. A voice that says, even though you deserve hell, even though you deserve to be separated from God forever, there's a button, there's a mighty strong arm that's reached out with a golden shield on, called a shield of faith. And the very words the psalmist discovered become a reality, even though you don't believe them. But there is forgiveness with thee. That thou mayest be feared. God forgives. And that but is the only thing that comes between us and a Christless eternity. But God forgives. And one of the things that we forget so easily is that our God is a heavenly Father who forgives us. And we tend to lose sight of what God's really like. We tend to lose sight in the dealings of God with the vision of a merciful, forgiving God. We find the dealings of God come into our life and we begin to see God as austere. We see God as full of wrath and anger. And our whole attitude towards God gets changed around and we get a false vision of God. There was a time when I first came into life where I knew that God loved me, that Jesus forgave all my sins and washed them away, and it was as though I'd never sinned before. But I so easily lose it. I so easily get so concerned with the dealings of God, which is a totally different realm. It's called deliverance. It's the dealings which bring deliverance to the nature changes that I need. But I forget that I am forgiven. 
And I begin to live in a feeling of being unforgiven all the time. I lose the sense that God forgives me. And that is the major problem in Christian lives. They've gone out of balance. We have a forgiving God. We have a loving God. We have a heavenly Father who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who cleanseth all thy sins. And yet we end up, because of the dealings of God and because we realize God needs to deal with attitudes within us, with motions within us, things that rise in our hearts, we forget that he forgives. We forget the type of God he really is and we make him out almost to be a monster, a tyrant who's pressing us down, who's ready to stamp us with his heel into hell if we don't begin to toe the line. And we lose sight of our relationship with God. And that's true for many. Now you see, in every area in Scripture, there must be balance. I must learn that there's balance. I must realize that God hasn't changed his nature. God will unconditionally forgive anyone. It's free. Freely you have received, freely give. Now there is a great price for discipleship. But for forgiveness, there's a great difference. And I want to talk about forgiveness. If I were to ask you, well, what's God really like? What's his nature? What's his heart toward us? How has he shown it forth? Maybe you'll discover that there's some things in your life that you've got a slightly out of balance and you've got a bit skew with. And that's why you become barren. I mean, if you were to go out and share the gospel, what good news have you got to take to people? Well, the Lord Jesus is so wonderful. He's set you free, so free. Free from sin, breaks the shackles. Oh, it's like floating on air. Or is it, well, um, I remember ten years ago when God saved me and cleansed me and forgave all. Oh, it was wonderful. It, now, of course, it's like floating on granite. Unfortunately, the granite's on top and I'm beneath. It's called the weight of guilt. I live with it continuously. I find when I wake up in the morning, I remember the things I did wrong the day before. It's not long before I remember the things I did wrong that morning as soon as I get out of bed. Uh, as soon as I try to pray to God, all the things that I know he needs to deal with in my life mount up as a mountain before me. They're higher than the mountains in Switzerland. They go deeper than the deepest caves. And there I am, locked in and trapped, and I cry unto God for deliverance. I don't know where I'm going and what's happening. I, I can't understand. And then someone comes along and they say to you, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, well, you know, what do you believe? 
Well, I believe he died to save me. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, well, I've got to be honest. You know, I haven't really been delivered yet, but I'm pressing towards the... What do you mean you haven't been? Well, you know, um, uh, well, it's... Blessed are they that mourn. I'm one of those. I'll be comforted one day. <laughs> blessed are those that hunger and thirst. Well, I'm certainly that. I'm blessed. Why don't you come along? It's good to hear. Uh, you know, it's good news. Um, you know, it's, it's great, really. Well, what do you do in your meetings? Well, we cry. Well, what do you cry for? Well, terrible. Feel, I go there, I, I feel so guilty when I get there. You know, and God comes and, oh, it just crushes me down. And I realize I'm a worm. Do you? Yeah, oh, yeah. I feel absolutely filthy. If you knew what motives I had inside me. Oh, and the things, they're so ugly. Oh, what you got inside you? Well, I, I would tell you, but really, you know, God's dealing with it. But come along, you'll feel bad too. It's going to free you. It's going to free you from your complacency. You'll never feel happy again. You'll feel this great burden. And God will deal with you. The dealings of God will come. You know, following Jesus. He did say my yoke is easy and my burden's light. But that's after you're dead. At least, I, I think so, because I'm not going to live long like this. I'll probably be dead in a week or two. But come along and see. Oh, yes, I, I, I'd be interested to see so many miserable people all together. And, and I, I mean, could you say anything else to them? When you think about it, what are you going to say? And that's the problem with lack of fruit bearing. It's no good going to someone and saying to them, you know, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Probably turn around and look at you and say, well, so are you. So what? Well, actually, I think I am at the moment, but, <laughs> you know, the way I feel... You know, it'll just add to your condemnation, won't it? See those evil things you do in your life? Well, your life's just as... Well, I think it is, really. <laughs> what about the motives, evil desires you've got in you? You say to this person, he says, Well, haven't you got any in you? <laughs> ah, but God's dealing with mine. Well, what's the difference? you still got them? Well, I suppose I'd better be honest. Yes, I've got them. But they're not as many as they were. I don't think. I mean, what do you say? I mean, what gospel have you got? Well, um, you could come along and you could help keep the gardens tidy. We've got a school. Bring your kids. They'll be miserable too. 
Well, they could learn table tennis. We've got a swimming pool. We have barbecues in the summer. Now, that's the way some people try and get people to the church. Let's get them in innocuously. Let's bring them to a barbecue. We're short of steak. I mean, what's wrong? What kind of puny gospel have you got? Good news of have a swim. We have good barbecue. Our bonfire night's good. Why don't you come? Say that to your relations. It's nice, you know, what they'd say. It's a neutral time to get them. Who wants to be neutral? We're at war. You know, invite them to something that's innocuous. For goodness sakes, where have you gone to? People have said to me, why not have a meeting for, for new people? Let's make it special. Put a welcome mat in the door. And we'll be nice. We won't say anything about anything. We'll sing. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty. <laughs> you know, uh, come and be happy, happy, happy. I mean, what are we playing at? What good news have we got? Do you think about it? How long is it since you shared good news with someone? Well, let's be fair on you. How many of you really gave a glowing report of Jesus Christ and his great grace and love in the last week to someone totally new? Hand up. Hands up. Don't be shy. What about the rest of you? In the last month? The last year? And then you said, well, I, I don't know why I'm not bearing fruit. I can't understand why. Suppose the question's left open, does God forgive or doesn't he? Or does he or doesn't he? Suppose there's an open question. Forgiveness of God. Well, am I forgiven or aren't I? Well, I suppose I'm forgiven if I have repented. You know, if I've felt sorry enough and I've had the right attitude when I said sorry and I ask God to forgive me, then I guess I'm forgiven. Providing I've had real repentance. Now, who can tell me what real repentance is? Anyone? How many people believe you've forgiven if you really repent? How many people, anyone here, believe you're really forgiven if you really repent? Hands up. What? Do the rest of you not believe it? If you truly repent, how many believe you're forgiven? Well, how many don't believe you're forgiven? If you truly repent, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. How many believe you're forgiven? Hands up. 
right up so I can see them all. Right, what do you mean by truly forgiven? Truly repent, rather. Now, there's a question. In your heart, you don't know whether you've truly repented because sometimes you want to do the same thing again. How many find that a problem? So, how many aren't forgiven? Well, how many aren't forgiven then? No, I'm only asking you because really you might laugh, but it's the key to your problem. When you're honest, your mind plays tricks. The devil's the accuser of the brethren. You get down, you say sorry to God, and you, Lord, I'm sorry, you know, you don't feel forgiven. See? If God had really forgiven you, you'd feel forgiven. Do you remember the way you used to feel forgiven? You used to be, feel all clean inside. You don't feel that, do you? No, I don't feel that. There you are, you're not forgiven. But I, I confessed. Oh, yeah, but you didn't confess the right way. Well, how did I confess? Well, if you really hated it, you'd quit it. You don't hate it, therefore you haven't quitted it. Therefore you're not forgiven. Are you? Because you can't really have repented. If you'd really repented, you'd have turned from it. And having turned from it, you'd never do it again. Well, you know, sin easily besets you. Ah, yes, says the devil, but you've got to see that your heart attitude isn't right. Well, I suppose it's not right. It's not the way it should be, but that's the way it is. Ah, yes, says the devil, that's the way it is. And God won't forgive you while your heart's like that. So then you try and feel sorrowful. Have you ever tried it? Well, I should feel sorry for this. I should feel bad. I should feel really grieved inside about this. And so you have a cry. And you squeeze out a tear or two and you try to feel bad about it. But you don't feel bad about it. But you feel you should feel bad. And you feel bad that you don't feel bad. But you don't feel bad about the thing. You feel bad that you don't feel bad. But then you get that feeling and you try then to feel you're forgiven. And so you ask God to forgive you. And you try inside and then you look inside and see whether God's forgiven you. But you don't feel he's forgiven you so then you repent again. And then you go around on the treadmill. And then you sin again in that particular area and God says, God says to you, you feel, there you are, you weren't forgiven. Because if you had been forgiven, you wouldn't have done it again. You said, but I couldn't help doing it again. I really wanted to do it. I can't help what I feel inside. And that's the way it is, Lord. I'm sorry about it. And the devil says, ah, do you think God will forgive you? Oh, no, he won't forgive you because you did it again. If you hadn't, if you'd really repented, you would never have done it again. You'd have quit it. You don't hate it. That's your problem. So, yeah, well, it is my problem. And until you can hate it, you won't be forgiven. Oh, okay. Well, I'll try and hate it. Now, you might hate the consequences of getting found out, but you don't hate it, because you do it again. And then you go more and more and more, round and round in circles, till you feel totally condemned. Anyone recognize what goes on inside? Huh? Hands up, the honest ones. Rest are dishonest. That's what goes on. I know. I have a human heart whatever you might think. 
And I know how it goes. I know how the enemy gets you. Now, what is the whole basis of attack? No, it's not feelings. He attacks your works. Goodness me, Eric, do you ever work? <laughs> no. What works, Eric? That is very astute. That is correct. He gets us looking at ourselves and trying to justify ourselves by what we do. And it's so easy to slide into, isn't it? Hmm? Um, can someone just close one or two windows? People in the centre are going blue. Um, and it begins to get at, our, get at our works. And he says, there you are, you see. And, and you begin to get all tied up and you think, I can't be forgiven. Now... Let me tell you this. When you come to God, one of the awful things is, if you look out at nature, you can see in nature that there's wonderful things, like there's beautiful flowers, there's trees that bear fruit, and they just come up and, and it's wonderful. And it speaks to you of God's love, and you come out and the birds are singing, they even make nests in old broken down cars and hatch out. And there's all sorts of nice things that seem to happen in the world and you look and you see the rabbits running across the lawn as you try to shoot them. And all the wonderful things in nature. See, and you think God really loves, he loves us. Look at this. And that you go out during the day in the summer and there's beautiful sunshine and, and you feel the whole world's wonderful. Somehow the grass begins to spring up quicker than ever. And, you know, the, the smell of fresh flowers and the beauty of it all, and, and it's lovely. And that's one side of God. And then there's the other side where suddenly lightning and thunder strike, the rains begin to pelt down, the wind rises up, the dome goes down. And, and you wonder... Uh, and you see the other side of God. You say, well, you know, and we in our minds and our hearts get conditioned by nature to see God from two sides and two aspects. And therefore, our whole attitude to God is we understand that God's a loving God, but he's also a God of wrath. Now, that's true, isn't it? Well, is it true or isn't it? You'd all agree. And you get all that kind of inbuilt into your nature, don't you? It builds inside until you really feel it. I know God's good and I know he's also angry. And your whole being kind of accepts that. So that in your natural circumstances of life, if thing goes well and the sun shines, God's blessing you. And if thing goes wrong, God's disciplining you. dealings of God. Right or wrong? And you get all condemned inside. And you get all bowed down and knotted up. It's circumstances 
the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the scripture says. But to you, if things go bad, it's just, you know, what have I done wrong? Oh dear, you know, why is God doing this to us? Hmm? And inside that little question comes up and the devil pops up and he says, See, if you were really one of God's blessed ones, you'd have no problems. If you were walking in light and truth, my, you'd be a millionaire. You could ride around like um, uh, whoever it is in America, um, San Sebastian, who's got a Cadillac. You could believe, just name it and claim it and you can have it. You know, Kenneth Copeland and all those, Hagen and all those men, prophesying and preaching people into delusions. You can have it, God only blesses. But you see, it says in Scripture, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And so does the sun shine on them. And there are farmers who'll go out and they'll sow a field of corn and do you know it'll come up? And they can be the wickedest people in the city and yet it'll come up. And the person next to them can also sow, sow a field of corn and it'll come up and they can be the best people in the city. And the next year, it can all get struck with mildew. And that's just the way it is. Now it doesn't mean that the good man's become unrighteous. That's what Job's friends accused him of. See, this has happened to you because you're unrighteous. And yet God had said not many verses before, though Job didn't read the verses before, look at my servant Job, consider him. He's a righteous man. But we don't ever look at it like that. Because we've been accustomed to times and seasons and we look on one thing as a blessing, another thing as a curse, our whole mentality is false. Well, is that true or false? Is that the way you think inside? If you feel ill, you, you think you better get right with God. Well, you know, why am I ill? Well, your body breaks down. Like cars do, like anything does that's mechanical. I mean, things go wrong with it. Now, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Spiritually, it could mean that. I'm not saying that it necessarily, but it, it doesn't. But uh, um, bodies break down. Now, it could be because your grandfather drunk scotch. I don't know. It, there's lots of reasons why people's bodies break down, which are inherited. There are family traits. You just get inherited things. And people do. And that's it. Now, it doesn't mean you're good or you're evil. It just happens. You might be a person with an iron constitution. That doesn't mean you're good. Usually, you take liberties if you've got an iron constitution. A person who's tender and careful is the person who hasn't got an iron constitution. And so you have to see. But it doesn't mean good or bad. But most of us, if we're really honest, we judge all our lives by what happens in circumstances. Or well, don't we? Our relationship with God is what's happening to me today. True or false? Well, is it true or false? Is that the way you think inside? Subconsciously, it's the way you tick. Huh? Well, is it or isn't it? Well, you're wrong. Your attitude's wrong, but that is the way you tick. But it's wrong. It's a totally wrong attitude and because of that you'll never bear fruit.
Because you see, your whole life is based on a lie, if you believe that. And so, that's the introduction of what I want to say over the weekend. Um, I don't know whether to stop or, or carry on. I haven't really even got into what I want to say. Okay, well, let, let me just take some examples, all right, give you some light relief for a minute. We should get up and sing a song, you know, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free. You all sung it earlier on. How many would feel like singing it now? Klaus is very bold tonight. Um, okay, let me deal with things. Number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness for thy sins, whatever they may have been. Look, many despair and are full of doubts and fears. Many of you are. You've all confessed to it. You're full of doubts, you're full of fears. But there's one thing you've missed. And that is, in Psalm 130 it says, But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. God forgives. And God's forgiveness is a big but in everyone's life. Look, no matter what you do, God will forgive. There is only one sin that is unforgivable and that is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost and if your heart worries that you've committed it don't worry you haven't because if anyone blasphemed against the Holy Ghost they would never have a consciousness of sin they'd slide totally ignorant into hell now God forgives everything it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done now consider Adam and Eve just consider them in the garden Alright? There they are in the garden of God, walking with God in fellowship. And then Adam and Eve fall, and they sin. Now it's interesting when God comes to Adam and Eve, his attitude to man. And you have to understand what God's attitude to man is in sin. Because I think many of you have lost it, and have forgotten it. Now he comes along, and we call it the curse. But I want to point something out to you. God cursed, alright, but he cursed the ground. God did not curse man. God cursed the ground for man's sake. Cursed the earth. Then God did something else. He put judgment upon the serpent and he said, On thy belly thou shalt go. For man, he did something totally different. He said to the man and to the woman, Out of the garden you go. He put a cherubim with a flaming sword at the gate to prevent them from ever coming in and taking of the tree of life. But, he made a promise in the moment of their sin and he said, the seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. In other words, even in God's dealings, there was mercy. God gave a way out at the moment that there was sin and sin entered into the world and it was the mother's sin that spread all sin in our lives. He turned round and he promoted and provoked mercy 
he said, look, the seed of woman shall bruise the serpent's head. Now get out of your minds that God was violently judgmental against Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground and the earth, he cursed the serpent, but he gave Adam and Eve hope. They'd walked with God, they'd seen God, they'd lived in the heavenly realm. They knew what it was to live in the wonder of God's presence and yet they turned around and rebelled against God. And even as they rebelled, it wasn't like the fallen angels, they never had a hope. But God with man said, look, the seed of woman shall bruise the serpent's head. Now that's God's attitude to man. It's totally different from any other being in creation. Now that's Adam and Eve. Alright, now get that into your heart and into perspective. That's God's way. He promised Adam and Eve reconciliation at the moment that they were sinning. After they had sinned and they had hid from him, he promised reconciliation. He said, there's a way of salvation. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. So at the very moment when sin came in, he made a promise of salvation. That's our God. That's his attitude to man. Now secondly, B, that's A, Adam and Eve. And B, I want you to consider something else, the altars of God. Imagine all the traditions of the Jews. God said to them, all right you Jews, when you sin, get a lamb without spot or blemish and come and slaughter it. And so morning and evening, Throughout all of the time of the Judaic covenant, there were priests coming along and they were slaughtering, morning and evening sacrifice, a lamb for the sins of the people. Once a year they took a scapegoat and they drove it out into the wilderness to bear away the sins of the people. And this went on year in, year out. This bloody mess in the, in the tabernacle where they slaughtered the things, sprinkled the blood on the altar, on the mercy seat, put it on the altar, burnt the carcasses, took the innards outside the camp and burnt them. And year in, year out, this went on. Now God ordained it so man would know there was a way of reconciliation and forgiveness. Now don't think that God was saying to the Jewish people, do that as a way of gaining forgiveness, but I'm sending you to hell anyway. Imagine if God had got them to go through all that ritual, all the rigours of it, and then said, well, anyway, I'm going to wipe you out in the end. Once a year there's the Day of Atonement, but I'll destroy you. What a mockery and a charade the whole thing would be, wouldn't it? God said, if you came and you did those things, he'd forgive he said, if you break the law and you come and you give that lamb and it's sacrifice, all your sin will be blotted out. The high priest will come in once a year, he'll sprinkle the mercy seat, and it's as though your sin never was, it'll be covered. The broken commandments which run to the mercy seat within the ark, it, the blood will separate between uh, me and those commandments, the blood will be between, and you will be forgiven, and it's as though you never sinned said God. Now God couldn't punish a man. 
After that, after they've fulfilled the righteous judgment of God, he said that without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, but there was blood shed, and he'd sprinkled it on the mercy seat. They must be forgiven. There was no way God could go back and renegade on it and say, I'm sorry. It would make a mockery, wouldn't it, of God's covenant, if he was to turn around to the Jews after all that and say, I'm sorry, but that's it. You went through all the sacrifices, but they don't matter. Imagine it. Then take um, C. Consider his commands. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Hasn't he? He commands you to repent. He says repent. Now there's a scripture that says the times of ignorance God winks at. In other words, there's a time you were in ignorance, you didn't know things were right or things were wrong, you did them and you were ignorant of them. Those times God winks at. But now, he commands all men everywhere to repent. And uh, to the best of your ability, you turn from what you can turn from, don't you? Well, imagine obeying God's command and he's saying, sorry, you didn't make the great go to hell. You didn't quite measure up, fella. So even though you try to obey my command to the best of your ability, hell for you. You didn't win enough battles, so your lot's hell. You tried, but you failed. Go to hell. I mean, what a terrible thing. Well, you were sincere, but you didn't make it. How's your lot? But a lot of people think God's like that, you know. They wouldn't kind of ascribe it like that, um, but that's really, when you take the sum total of the implications, that's what it means. And then go on. Could you imagine him writing a book? The Bible. And in that book he makes great and precious promises. Tells us we can be forgiven. Tells us all sorts of things, woos us to himself and keeps the secret from us that in the end we're going to be rejected anyway. What an awful thing would make God, wouldn't it? If that was so. And then go on and consider what Jesus said. He said we're to pray. When we pray, he said pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. He said, now pray that, but I won't do it. If you don't repent the right way and quit the right way, I won't do it. I won't forgive you. And so, you can pray it year after year. You can pray for God to forgive you, but he won't. Because you haven't done it right. You didn't hate it. If you'd hated it, you'd have quit it. But you didn't quit it, you loved it, so really you didn't hate it, therefore he won't forgive you. Then why did Jesus teach us to pray? Forgive us our trespasses. Presumably we're going to trespass. So it can't mean when I'm born again I'll never trespass again, because he said we'd have prayed all the time. Forgive us our trespasses. This is the way you're to pray when you're approaching to God. 
you come with dealing with confession of sin it's part of it when you've given the glory to God our Father you acknowledge him as Father which art in heaven that's where he is you acknowledge him the God God of um, in heaven who's our Father hallowed be thy name Lord we honour thy name thy kingdom come Lord we want that kingdom in glory to come down to earth thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Lord let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread Lord not only physical but the spiritual bread and then, it, then we come to the forgive us our trespasses we forgive them that trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and, and that was the form of prayer that Jesus Christ said we were to pray now forgiveness was part of it imagine Christ telling all the people who were to come afterwards to pray for forgiveness if God wouldn't forgive you it would be a mockery wouldn't it well wouldn't it if Christ taught us to pray that and God wasn't going to do it wouldn't it be a mockery then let's go on E consider how Jesus died he came from heaven he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and there he was imagine at Gethsemane there's our Christ at Gethsemane come down to earth and he gets into the garden and he sweats great drops of blood and he makes intercession for us and the prayer is listed as you know in the scriptures and he cries out to God the Father and it says he sweats as it were great drops of blood the blood vessels in the pores of his skin began to burst with the strain and the effort in his prayers and the groaning And then he goes and he's taken by wicked men and he's tied up to a stake and whipped until blood begins to course down his back and his bones show through his skin where the wicked implements of torture those Romans use. And his back scarred and the flesh pulled away. And he suffers. And then he's taken by wicked men and crucified nails driven into his hands and his feet and he dies bleeding out his life innocent totally without fault and into his body he takes all the wrath and vengeance of God against sin into his own body on Calvary's tree and he dies to it all imagine it cries out it is finished great cry it is finished someone better go out and see who that is what oh I see thought there was someone knocking wanting to come in there he is, cries out, it is finished. Now can you imagine, he suffered all that, he took the sin of the whole world into his own body on Calvary's tree, and God won't forgive you for something. I mean, what blasphemy is it? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every man to his own way and the Lord hath laid upon him 
the iniquity of us all. Every single part of my life and your life that's wrong was laid on Jesus Christ. Every part. Now forgiveness is not dependent on what you do or what I do. It's dependent solely, as Eric so rightly said, on what Jesus Christ has done. The way you live does not govern whether you're forgiven or not. If it did, you'd be earning your forgiveness. You are forgiven because it's grace. You don't deserve it. It is total unmerited favor of God. It's the mercy of God that brings forgiveness. Now you and I, from the day that we put our trust in Christ, are forgiven. And any sin that we commit in the future is also forgiven. And every sin we committed in the past is forgiven. And forgiveness is on our life from the day we're born again to the day we depart into glory. There is no thing you can do and there's no sin you can commit save one which will separate you from the love of God and there is no way guilt can remain on you. If you will put your trust and belief in Jesus Christ, you'll know freedom from guilt. Now it doesn't mean by that that you become careless in your life for the scripture says as we looked in, in the Psalms but there is forgiveness with thee and that thou mayest be feared and the fear of God comes when I'm forgiven. And when I know I'm forgiven I know when I do something wrong that God forgives me. No matter what it is there is forgiveness in God. Because Christ had paid a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for anything in my life or your life that happens. Now, I get a new attitude when I begin to realize that. You see, what we tend to do is we get away from forgiveness and we begin to look at deliverance and we think that we aren't forgiven until we're delivered. But if that were the case, there are many people whose lives are cut short who would go to a Christless eternity and yet had a true new birth. Their stage of development didn't reach Paul's where he said, I've, I've finished my course. I've run the race. There, there's waiting for me a prize in glory. There's some people that don't get that far along the road. Now they don't go to hell. Because they're cut off early and they haven't reached that full maturity, they go in at that stage, but they are totally forgiven their sin. There is no day when you get up when God doesn't instantly forgive you your sin. The moment you say, Lord, and you confess it, no matter what you feel inside, you are forgiven. It doesn't matter whether you feel bad inside, good inside, angry inside, God forgives. It's his nature. Christ has bought your forgiveness and you're forgiven on the basis of what Christ has done, not on what you say or what you do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, confession, that's owning up to it, is the only prerequisite of forgiveness. That's all. And once you confess it, it's as though it had never been. 
Now, how many of you live that? How many of you understand that is the truth? And you lose the joy of your salvation the moment you move off that. Now, don't think that I'm saying by that that you don't need to cry out for deliverance. There are motives and things in your life that need changing. And when you allow them to dominate and you walk in the flesh, they're ugly. And God wants to deal with them and get rid of them out of your lives. Now that is deliverance, but it's nothing to do with whether you're forgiven or not. That are, those are nature changes that God wants to change in you. He wants to transform you into the image of his dear son. But in doing that, don't think you're not forgiven all the way down the road. Of course you are. Otherwise the changes wouldn't be going on. Now the thing that releases a man or a woman from condemnation is when they start realizing that forgiveness is very different from deliverance. And a lot of you are mixing the two up. You're trying to get delivered in order to believe you're forgiven. Aren't you? And that's the lie. Jesus Christ has borne all my sins. All of them. And if I confess he's faithful and just to forgive me, irrespective of whether I'm delivered or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pardon? You can ask me. Whether I can answer is a different matter. What is the very, what if the very thing? Of course it is. Yeah, that's right. But listen, if you confess and believe forgiveness of sins, you won't be barren. I'm showing you the way to fruitfulness. You see, the reason most of you have lost your fruitfulness is you've lost your joy. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Now, for the sap to flow and for the life of God to flow in our life, we must believe. We've got to believe that we are forgiven. We've got to believe that we're sons of God. We've got to believe that we're walking in the life. But if we've got a feeling of guilt all the time and we're walking down, no condemnation, no condemnation to them. Oh dear. You know, Lord, I don't know how you could love me. Me. <laughs> and you pray all those kind of soul-rendering prayers that you think are virtuous. Um... I mean, that's the way a lot of people go on. Now, that's unbelief. Look, the moment I confess, I'm forgiven. Okay, you say, you, you feel barren. Well, looking at you, I wouldn't say you're, you've, got, you've got over one of your hurdles. Uh, now, the thing is this, that you, spiritually speaking, the reason you're barren is because you've lost the joy of your salvation. Do you know something, Sheila? You, if you look round, how many people found it easy to bring people when they first came to the church? 
How many people find it difficult now? Right. Now, what was the difference between when you first came? Well, when you first came, you were fearless. You went out and you shared with people and you brought them along and there was a kind of freshness and joy and expectancy in your heart and you knew God had done something for you and you wanted God to do something for them. When you've been in the church a little while or when you've been walking the Christian life a little while, you're more wise and miserable. You know there are so many things in your life that need dealing with that you almost don't share with anyone. In case they turn round and ask you, well, does it work in you? And you kind of, well, well, you know, Jesus is good. Well, what about in your heart? Well, I am what I am by the grace of God. In other words, I'm not telling you what's going on inside. I, I mean... You recognize that one, Shane, do you? Yeah. Um, and the whole thing is, you've lost the simplicity of the gospel. You see, you forget that the gospel is basically the good news that Jesus Christ died for me on Calvary's cross. He took all my sin into himself. And when he rose again from the dead, he justified me. 2,000 years ago and I'm forgiven all my sin I'm on my way to heaven because of what Christ has done now what stage in heaven I arrive at and how the dealings of God go on that's a different question what kind of rewards I get in heaven that's a different question but the basic question of salvation is assured but how many of you have forgotten that it's assured Well, come on, be honest. You've started worrying about the dealings of God and if you don't get to a certain point and God doesn't deliver you of that and do that in your life, you won't make it. Well, is that or is that not true? Now, you see, your forgiveness of sins is based on what Christ did and you're putting your trust in him. That makes it efficacious for you. Now, nothing else counts in that realm else God's a liar says if any man not the person who lives up to a standard but if any man any and you're one of the any if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us the same and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we do now don't get into the total trap of saying oh well uh, God won't forgive me if I don't do this that and the other and we try to work out little steps that we've got to take now my trust must be in Jesus Christ and what he did not in what I do forgiveness is there then I want to talk just a, a few minutes about the nature of forgiveness if I've got time alright now any, everyone follow that? Do you follow that, Claire? Well, just believe it. Pass. Don't impass. Pass. I mean, just believe it. You've just got to put your simple trust in the basic thing that Jesus Christ took all my sin on Calvary's cross. Do you believe that? Where does it say that in Scripture? Okay, stand up. 
Right. Now, what causes fruitfulness? No, in a branch, what causes fruitfulness? Sap from the root. Now, in a vine, and this was the vine that was talked about, what causes a vine branch to become barren? When it gets too big. You go to a vine tree, the thing that causes vines, the branches of vines to become barren, and it goes like dead wood, is when the branch gets too long. So, who's the husbandman? God the Father. And he comes and prunes us, that we might do what? And if any branch doesn't bear fruit, he comes along and chops it off. Now, what does that mean? That's right, that's right. Now, do you know what the uh, father's pruning means? Well, it means that the dealings of God are going on in your life and he's bringing you down to, to the place where you rely on him, where you feel that you've got to draw your life from him because you can't make it. Do you feel that? Yeah, do you feel that, do you? You do. You feel hopeless and helpless without him. Do you? And you feel that unless you get into him, you'll be lost. And you'd likely to be cut off. Well, you're quite safe. You won't be. But you'll actually bear fruit when you start believing that he really has forgiven you and loves you. He's forgiven you not because of what you do, but because of what he's done on Calvary's cross. His son has paid the price for all your sin. Why should you be the one person in the world who it doesn't work for. Are you special? Now, when you put your trust and faith in that, you will automatically be grafted into Christ and remain in him. Alright? And the dealings of God the Father go on in your life, so you will automatically bear fruit. You see, fruit isn't something that... A, yeah? But you're becoming fruitful. But fruit... It's not something... Tell me this. Can, have you ever been over to the pear tree in the garden over there? You know, we've got a pear tree by the... Can you imagine? You walk over there one day and just coming up to midsummer and you hear it, the branch is going... Urgh! And you say, what are you doing, branch? I'm trying to bear fruit. Making a big grow... Now, I mean, a branch doesn't. Now, fruit is an excess of sap. That's what fruit is. It's an excess of life. A tree that hasn't got, that's why you cut and prune trees back, so that it's like a rose bush. If you want decent roses, you have to prune it, otherwise it just grows wild. And, and it has to be cut back. Now, that's because the sap, there must be an excess of life in the branch, that's why you cut it back, the same you do with vines, you cut them back. So there's an excess of sap, and that produces the fruit. If it's got too much to energy to, to expend on, on the wood growing, then you lose it. You prune fruit trees for the same reason. And there must be the excess of life, otherwise all the life will go into the branches and you get no fruit. Now in the same way with us, we're cut back to size. Aren't we? We don't make an effort to produce fruit. 
what we do is if we really begin to abide in Christ and we put our trust in Christ and we believe for forgiveness of sins and we live for him automatically fruit begins to appear not because I've produced fruit but my abiding in him produces the fruit automatically now when fruit stops coming there's one thing that I've started doing I've ceased to abide in Christ and put my trust in him I've begun to try and work out my own salvation in such a way that I've no longer allowed for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do I forget that part and I try and work it out by my own efforts and I've gone one step we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling providing I know that it's God who's working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure and I allow that will to work out through my life but the moment I begin to try and do it myself I'm on my own and I become barren now do you understand that? you really do you're not just saying it to make me feel good no didn't think you would um, <laughs> alright do you understand it? Now, Jesus, um, Jesus said this. Um, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Christ never came to get righteous people. And honestly, our Savior is always looking. There will only be sinners in heaven. Sinners saved by grace. There will be no righteous people. The good people and the righteous people won't get to heaven. It's going to be the sinners who have acknowledged Christ and are saved by grace. Those are the people who are going to have. Martin Luther put it like this. He said, Jesus Christ never died for our good works. They were not worth his dying for. But he gave himself for our sins according to scripture. Jesus Christ never died for our good works because they weren't worth dying for and what we've got to come to is a place where we begin to realize that we've got to get off relying on our works and our manner of living to justify ourselves and we've got to realize we're justified by the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection it is nothing to do with what we do that justifies us it's to do with what he did now do you follow that? Now most of you have got switched round and really you feel you're going on in God if everything works fine. And you don't fall and you don't make a mistake then you feel you're really pleasing God. True? Hmm? That's pharisaical self-righteousness. My righteousness has got to be Christ's righteousness. I rely on what he's done and I acknowledge that I can't live without him and I allow his life to work out in me and I say God I'm a sinner I can't help myself please change me I thank you that Jesus Christ has washed away my sins I thank you that I'm cleansed by his precious blood I thank you that I'm forgiven for all eternity but Lord you're going to have to change me and then I find the work of deliverance begins in my life as I walk day by day and I cry out to God. He delivers me from things, but I don't feel unforgiven because I'm not delivered. I see things in my life that are wrong, 
believe it or not, there are things in my life that need changing. I know most of you find that very hard to believe. That God has a work to do in my heart yet. But he has. Now I know it, but I don't feel unforgiven because it's not done. Now how many of you feel unforgiven because you know there are things in your life that God has to change? Many of you, you get to the place where you see something in your life that's a real problem and immediately you lose faith in God. You believe you're unforgiven. You don't feel you can come and pray and you don't feel you can really praise in the, in, in the meeting because you don't want to be a hypocrite. So you stand there miserable. Now the real reason is you've lost sight of the fact that your deliverance is totally different from forgiveness. You are forgiven because of what Christ did. And it doesn't matter what you do, you will be forgiven if you fulfill the requirement of just saying sorry Lord and confessing to it, you will be forgiven. Now deliverance comes, as I say, by crying out. There are works that God's got to do. But that is nothing to do with forgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? God won't blame you for your nature. God can't blame you because there's things in your life that you inherited from the first Adam and haven't yet been dealt with. He won't punish you for that. He'll punish you if you refuse to let him deal with them and you rebel against him and tell him you don't want anything to do with it. But providing you open your heart and allow him to work out the things that he's working in and you allow him to move in your life and you respond to him, then God will deliver you totally. But it is not sin to have those problems. If you sin and allow them to have the ascendancy, repent. But don't think by repentance that you'll be totally delivered. You won't be. You'll be forgiven. You are forgiven. But you're going to have to fight the battle until God delivers you. Now lots of you have got into the state of condemnation where you live in condemnation. Now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that all in Christ Jesus are perfect. It means that all that are in Christ Jesus live in a knowledge that their sins are forgiven. That's why there's no condemnation. But you've still got to be changed from glory to glory as in the face of Jesus Christ. Changes have got to go on in your life. But you're forgiven. And if you walk in that forgiveness, you will bear fruit. Because the joy of your salvation will return. You'll begin to see that the condemnation's a lie. You don't need to feel bad. God's forgiven you. You don't have to whip yourself. God forgives you. Yes, you want God to change it, but until he does, there's not much you can do about it. You can pray to him, you can ask him, you can beg him to change you, but basically you'll still be the same you till he does. Now that doesn't mean I become complacent about it, but what it does mean is I, I become putting my trust in God that he's going to do it. Lots of you are looking at me with a mystified look on your face. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of you have given up your right in God to be forgiven. You believe you're not forgiven because you haven't found deliverance. 
Well, I don't know. I'll quit there. I think because I, I can go on tomorrow. You know, you should get up and realize that salvation is full, free, and sufficient. Christ has paid a perfect sacrifice. There is no way. When I came to God, God delivered me. I knew from the day that a man said to me, it's as though you had never sinned from the day of your birth to this point. I knew it to be true, and boy, it set heaven alight.